1: Join me, Emily Tish Sussman, every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: From grandmothers who whispered in their baby girl ear, to fathers on dimly lit street corners instructing young soldiers to always keep their eyes open, you be queen. You were fired. You were passed through centuries on the hands of your daughters. They called you wisdom, proverbs, on the backs of diamond eyed school who grew into hymnals recited by amethyst holding urban philosophers who recited neighborhood commandments out of the windows of restored El Camino chariots to keep the warmth in their blood. Be wise, be smart, be black opal, brown quartz, Bloodstone and prayer be every form of gem. See, king told scribe, scribe told son, son told wife, wife told her daughter, and daughter told the ancestors, and the ancestors told me that you would come to give wisdom to thousands. They said you would come dropping gem. Dropping gem.
3: It's the Dropping Gems Podcast. What up, everybody? Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Debbie Brown. This is the show where we like to deep dive into higher consciousness, but make it really deeply applicable to our day to day life. I'm always thinking how can we expand? How can we grow? And how can we do it with ease, grace, and beauty? And I think that's what we're going to explore today on this show. The way that I like to do that is with investigating my own story. Storytelling is one of the oldest and greatest, most impactful ways for us to share literally everything in a lasting way. You know, some of the stories that we revel in from childhood or have been passed down from people we love or have come up And the religious systems or beliefs that we connect to or operate within exist because they were powerfully investigated and explored and then intentionally shared for the highest good of all that connected to them. And so when we think about the power of our stories, we have to also understand that through really examining and then expressing our stories, we are really turning ourselves and our lives into myths. I love uh, a lot of work around mythology. I used to be really drawn to Greek mythology when I was younger, always powerfully drawn to storytelling. I think in every form and in every way that I've showed up in the multiple careers that I've had, (laughs) it all really centered around two things, curiosity and storytelling. Even when I think back to my time of working in radio and, and, you know, having the privilege to interview different artists and different rappers and different actors and musicians and politicians, my deeper calling and my deeper yearning was always, what is the deeper story that's in front of me? What is the story to tell? What is your story? What is the recipe of you? How did you come into this moment? We are all layered in very complex ways. um, And sometimes the complexities are only known to us because we know all the facets of our story and all the facets of ourselves. But it is through that knowledge that we are able to heal, grow, transform, and then show up in service to the world, which is what I believe is the root of what all of our individual purposes center in. So on today's episode we're investigating the power of storytelling, especially as it relates to our spiritual and healing journey. I found, I like to call this my selfology. My study of self is the driving force of my life. I am always in my mind, in my heart, in my body exploring how I feel, my responses, what led me there, what is my past experiences, how does that play into now? And I think what's so important is through that investigation of self, that is how you find your purpose. That's how you show up for it in a really lasting way. And that's also how you heal yourself. You can't heal what you avoid. So I always connect with the art of storytelling. I love powerful storytelling. And something I really love right now is us being able to tap into what is our inner myth and by that I don't mean what are you know potentially um, untruths or you know too deep ego identifications with our stories, but we should all be looking to live our life in mythic ways. For me, becoming a myth is more important than what we call leaving a legacy. Legacy is beautiful. But it's also a little, the word is a little more closely related to, le, uh, to ego. Because what we're thinking of is I'm leaving my name on a building, right? Like it, it's about kind of cementing our current identity for the test of time. But is that for the greater good or, or is for that for self-grandizing? Is something I just start to explore sometimes in my mind. Whereas when you are looking to become a myth, you are finding the most powerful parts of your story. The most powerful parts of what make you you, and you are living them to the grandest of your ability possible. And when you're gone, that is the peace that carries on after you. That is the peace that inspires others to be more, to change. That is something that can exist for thousands and thousands of years that is not connected to who you are in terms of your name or what you may have accomplished in the physical world, but it's more tied to the essence of your soul and how you radiated and what you shared or what the big karma was that can be used as a tool or information for other people. And sometimes our myths are the hero's journey and sometimes our myths are the cautionary tale for people, but both are necessary so today's episode let's get it in i have an amazing amazing person um, who is really doing big work in the storytelling space kia miyaka natis kia is the new co-host of invisibilia i know a lot of people big fans of that show it's a podcast about challenging the forces and powers of the status quo And before stepping up to host the mic at NPR, she's told stories in nearly every form, from developing reality shows and scripting web shorts to interactive art and experimental documentaries. And most recently, Kia had a really powerful story that she shared around reparations for invisibilia. So without further ado, let me go ahead and welcome to the show Kia miyaka Natisse. So welcoming to the show, really excited, Kia Miyaka-Natis,
4: thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
3: You know what's interesting? I'm so excited to dive into you with so many things because the work that you do, and we were kind of offlining about this, the work that you do, even if it's not explicitly called that, is deeply spiritual work. Like It is the Mm. art of sharing story, of sharing intergenerational nourishment, of you know, creating a myth that will outlive everyone you're even talking to.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm like a born storyteller and it's how I understand the world. And like nothing makes sense until there is a narrative where I could like understand how do I fit inside whatever paradigm we're existing in? Um, And the power of storytelling to like shift paradigms of like, wait, if you and we do this all the time at work, which is like, well, if you put a certain situation inside of a different frame, you get a whole different meaning and and that's really like a powerful tool of like even understanding myself of just like, well, maybe I could shift it a little bit, put it in a different frame and I could have different energy around it and I could just approach the topic differently. So I have a theory. tell me if I tell me how
3: this lands. I feel that people that are called to the path of storytelling are typically some of the most self-aware and self-evolved people that exist mm. among us. Oh, I'll take it. Okay.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I will say what I will say, especially working at this job, which is like just a, a real like universe aligning sort of thing. But coming to NPR and talking to people It's a group of the most intelligent and aware Mm. people like so you really can't show up with the BS because everyone's reading you. they are like reading your face. They're reading your body language and they're really aware. And like that's their job, because if you're a journalist, you want to really be observant of what's happening, take it all in and then try to, you know, share it with a greater audience. And so working here and especially with this team, it does. It's just like. There's no, there's no hiding and there's not a lot of, mm, um, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. You can't show up fake. You have to show up yeah. o- authentically, which is like a dream because there's so many workplaces where it's like, no, you have to show up fake. Like yeah. You cannot show up as yourself. Yeah.
3: You have to have that mask or that armor. And it mm-hmm. feels like to be able to tell um, or aid in, in unpacking the story of another or, or larger stories, you have to be very intimately familiar with all of your own facets You know, you have to be able to kind of unpack and repack yourself in any moment to be able to see those pathways in another person for their story to be expanded and shared.
4: Yeah, yeah. Like a deep sense of empathy is what I really draw upon of like, I want to get inside what this person is feeling and seeing and then try to connect it to myself so that it's not just like. Because it's very easy to listen to people and just take the surface information of just like, oh, that's just what's happening. And instead, it's like, okay, how can I dig in deeper? Mm. How can I find something in myself that I understand and can connect with that so that when I tell the story, it comes from a, a real place and not just like, I'm listing facts. This is what happened. Yeah. You know? Like your third eye has to be hella activated. You know, mm, you have to pick yes. up on the things that aren't being said and the
3: the small nuances and cues. Mm-hmm. Yes. How did absolutely. how did you find yourself in this work? How did you become a storyteller?
4: Mm, I I do feel like I was just like a born storyteller. Like I just came, and I think I came into this world with like my parents built a mythology around me, mm. and so then I just what became, does that mean? Wait, that sounds <clears throat> juicy. Well, it, it it it's only juicy now because it's like it's coming to pass. But I think, <laughs> like you know, in my family, telling stories is how we understand each other. It's how we preserve each other's histories. It's also how we cre- kind of can create stereotypes and norms around who each person is. And so, I was the second born, um, and and my sort of mythology is that I came into the world and I was just very alert and aware. And so, like, my father will always tell this story of, like, I was born and he was holding me and he was like, oh, hey, boo-boo. And I turned my head. I'm like, who the hell is this? (laughs) I was just alert out the womb. And I think I've carried that narrative with me in that mythology of like, I'm a very observant person and I'm a very curious person. And Mm. I'm here to like, see what the world has to offer. Like, I'm just very interested and like always been very inquisitive and analytical. And that's like a part of my own mythology in this world of like, yeah what I feel like I'm here for. Yeah.
3: Wow. What were some of the early stories you were really drawn to? Like the things as, as a kid, even that just really drew out your curiosity?
4: Mm. I mean, so much. I definitely was the child who was always asking questions. And I think my mother just really encouraged it. There was a point maybe early on when I was maybe 11 and, My mother was just always pushing me to like do more and like go Mm. above and beyond. So there was like a assignment where you had to like create your own like personal narrative, like tell your autobiography. And, you know, it's like, all right, you just like write a little story. But then my mother was like, well, what if we, you know, take some home videos? And what if you interview your relatives? And so it turned into this little like video that's probably like an hour long. And it's kind of what I used to call like a rite of passage to get to know me where I'd be like, now you have to watch this VHS. (laughs) But it was just interesting. Because this is like me as a child interviewing people about how they perceive me. And that has become like a consistent theme in the kind of work that I do, which is kind of like I've had to understand it as, you know, I am trying to understand myself very deeply because that's the thing that I can know the deepest. You know, I could try to know other people, but everybody's a mystery. Like I'm a mystery unto myself a lot of times, even when I reflect on who I was in the past. It's like... That's a different girl, but you know, it's really interesting to see. And so I think that kind of set me on that journey of self discovery. Mm. Um, And then there was also like a book that caused a real existential crisis that I think also set me on like a path of. Oh, please share. um, uh, Emotional and Spiritual Enlightenment. It's this book called, um, oh, I'm going to get the title wrong now. I think it's called, like, What Happened to Nancy or something. Mm. And it was this book my sister had uh, that I took. My sister's, like, three years older. And I just, like, took this book because I'm an obsessive reader. And it was supposedly the true diaries of a young girl who fell in love with this guy, got AIDS, and died. (laughs) So it's, like, a really, really heavy book. So that escalated Um, quickly. Uh. (laughs) Yeah. And so reading that at 10 years old and that being, like, my first confrontation with the idea that you could die at any age, you know, wow. like not just like living till you get old, but instead like life is kind of random. It threw me into a real existential crisis. Yeah. Like I was just kind of like, I don't understand what the point of life is. Like I was very despondent for a period of time. Wow. Um, and just had a lot of like sort of questions of like, why are we here and what yeah. are we doing and what are the, what, Like if if the rule is not that you are born, you get old and you die, then what are the rules? Yeah. And what are the sort of governing principles of this space that we're in? Um, I think for me, like being in that space of despondency, and my mother, like completely not having a clue of how to address it. But going into spirituality for me was like a way out of that hole Mm. of like, okay, well, I have to make meaning while I'm here. Like there's no getting out of. Being here, So I have to make meaning and part of my meaning making was exploring like this sort of spiritual existence or like those the big questions. Why are we here? What are we supposed to be doing while we're here? What what is fulfilling? What feels good to my spirit? What can I learn and like learning just being like a big sort of driver of my existence of just like I really want to learn is always what I'm pushing for. So we're kindred spirits. I'm um, just putting that out there. I feel it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know, that, first of all, that was really powerful what you just shared and equal parts gift and burden, right? Because to be awakened so young, it gave you such a beautiful head start on this thing called the human experience on planet Earth, you know, and what, a, what an interesting way to develop your connection to yourself and the way that you connected to young to other people at such a young starting point. Um, but on the flip side of that, also at a certain level traumatizing, right? To have access to that kind of information um, or to that type of perspective at an age where literally your home is your earth, your parents are your God. its It's such a big expanded view with no life context. But it's interesting because like to hear you mirror that I, you know, I consider myself someone who has always been led so deeply by their curiosity at every turn. Mm. Like that is my life's purpose. My superpower is my curiosity. And I remember when I was eight years old, I, I was, I was like the kid that was always befriending adults. But when I was eight, I remember like I went, I stopped by the like the guidance counselor's office and we were like talking and, um, she recommended this book to me, which looking back, I'm like, I, I don't think you should be working with children. But <laughs> <laughs> she recommended this book to me, and I was eight and I read it. And It was an adult book about a young boy who had been sexually abused oh. by both of his parents and had gotten oh. AIDS and died.
4: What? I that swear is, to you. I just got it. That's
3: why it was <laughs> like, like so we're kindred spirits. Um, and it was like, well, long story short, I mean, this has another avenue, but it was called Between a Rock and a Hard Place. And it was this story mm. about this young boy in New York. I mean, his best friend ended up dying of cancer. Like, he ended up getting AIDS. He, It, it was such a horrifying story um, for mm-hmm. a child to read. Like, what? Right. Um, it also turned out to not be true when I
4: looked at I was going to say this too. I'm sorry. Now I'm developing a theory because the book that I read also have since Googled and is supposedly not true. What? I know, I'm like, what was happening? Because this was like Yo. the early the early 90s, right? Like, is yes. that when you were reading this book? Yeah, there's probably yes. a story here of like, there was some cottage industry of like, because the girl in the book died of AIDS. This and is so And there might have been like crazy. a cottage industry. It might have been the same author, truthfully, because I actually ended up researching this woman in this book. So I sat out,
3: and tried to research too, because- one when i got to a certain age like i used to think oh i'm so mature like i was entrusted with such a a deep profound story so young because adults recognize my wisdom then i got older and i was like so that was actually kind of fucked up like why was i reading that book at that age with no additional support and understanding what i read like what guidance counselor gives that book to an (laughs) eight-year-old child with no context with no parental approval yeah anyway so when I, I started thinking about that when I got older and I'm like, whatever happened, like I got to know more about this boy. And so I started Googling it and I found like a forum of people calling out the author as like this hypochondriac woman and who made this entire story up. No one had ever met this kid that she wrote the book about. And then I I just spiraled and I was like, I don't even know
4: what's going on. Let me just close the screen. But (laughs) Oh, my goodness. No, that definitely. And now I'm going to get to Googling once we get off the phone, because it was this woman who was known for kind of like writing these very like diaristic journal. Like I got Uh, the real journals from this boy. I think she also did one about a guy who may have ended up in a cult or like something to do with Satan worship. But it was like in that time period of the early 90s where I feel like everything was very much like it was a little bit fear mongering because the 80s were so crazy that it was like, don't do this and don't do that. And this is bad. And this is bad. And so it sounds like we probably ended up on the same like narrative train, which is like, I agree that book rocked my world. I was just kind of like, I had no idea that young people could die. And it was just like, the narrative was such a like, she fell in love with this dude had sex with him once he gave her AIDS, she died on a ranch by herself where they would bury the diapers behind the house because she had AIDS and no one really knew what AIDS was at that point. Um, But yes, uh, totally as an adult now reflecting on it and like a yes, wildly like the times that, adult supervision would have saved me. Yeah. (laughs) Are numerous. Particularly from media, right? Because I think, you know, for my parents, it's like, you're in the house, you're safe. And it's like, no, you have no idea what I'm being exposed to. Um, (laughs) But at the the same time, totally did set me on a path of like wanting to understand spirituality as a means of wanting to find purpose in whatever this is. Because at that point in time, I was like, am I a puppet? Am I trapped in a snow globe on a kid giant's desk like what is life am I an alien science project like what's happening am I the tooth in the Simpsons
3: you know that Lisa's looking down on it's like for anyone that has watched the Simpsons but you know it's interesting you say that because I think I mean ultimately there's purpose for everything right so even though if the book was a scam which it now appears that it was Um, it did, it did send me on that path of really one empathy, like understanding that people are arriving to my knowledge of them with a lifetime of story Mm. or, you know, so many different experiences that I may not have had access to. Um, but it also, yeah, it, it sent me down this path of being really fascinated by transformation. Like, like Mm. that was like kind of a driving force of my childhood of being really, fascinated at the mechanism of what makes someone make the choices that they make or Mm -hmm. like I remember as a kid I I I, my whole life I've been fascinated with studying the Mm -hmm. holocaust because it was the most horrifying thing I've ever heard of Mm -hmm. and I could not understand with my mind how something like that could ever happen you know and it, it it I mean, that very much informs the lens that I see the world with now. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I say that to say it's interesting because I think when you're on that path of being a storyteller, one, the driving force, it really is this, like, insatiable curiosity, mm-hmm. this desire to know every fiber and facet of anything that gets your attention in that moment. Mm-hmm. Like, my nights, every night looks like at least an hour dedicated before bed to going down some wikipedia rabbit hole mm. and then finding supporting information the most random thing sometimes is deep right like sometimes i'm like studying the deepest
4: thoughts ever thought
3: and sometimes I'm just like, how did I arrive here? Why are you so curious about everything?
4: <laughs> right. No, I love that. I'm the same way where it's like, I love to learn new things. I love to have a random fact in my pocket. Like, yeah. you know, that's just like how I'm known <laughs> in my friend group. But like, ask Kia. She probably knows. Like, because it's just like, that's just my interest. And I think it does have to do, a lot to do with the people I grew up around. Like my grandmother, who is... I'm going to botch her age, but she's over 85, but she's a ravenous learner. Mm. And like, so once she, you know, gotten to the internet, it's like, I say her and my teenage brother are like the worst online because like they wake up in the morning, they're on their phones, but she's just, she loves to learn. And so I think being around her, being around my father, who's also a big reader, it also just kind of taught me to be interested in what is out there and like what there is to learn, what there is to study, what there is to add to yourself to evolve as a person.
3: Yeah. On your show Invisibilia, which is, um, you know, it's a, it's a really celebrated show that expands on so many different kinds of pathways and stories. Um, you know, before you step to the mic there at NPR, you've also told stories in so many other ways and so many other forms. What are you finding? You know, I'd love from your perspective some of the stories that have really stuck with you. And also, what are you finding is the piece of your purpose of the kinds of stories you were meant to tell?
4: Mm, Yeah, that's a good question. So yeah, I used to make reality TV um which shows
3: which shows were you were you storytelling I, on yeah
4: so my, the first show i worked on was the fabulous life oh okay which one that old show i used to love it once i worked on it i was like this show is horrible uh <laughs> just because it was it was very repetitious mm. um and then i worked on salt and pepper's reality show if you remember that that yeah. was on VH one um, and then I worked for Al Roker for a while, and just uh, worked in development, pitching shows. And then the last job I worked on was Kimora Simmons' show, the Fab uh, Life in the Fab Lane. Mm. Um, so I had done all of that, and just came up short in reality TV, truthfully. Like it was never a space that I wanted to work into. I just accidentally got a job there because someone else didn't want a job and she was like, hey, you can put your resume in. They're looking for help. And so started working in this field. I actually wanted to be a music journalist and I wanted to work for magazines, but at the point that I graduated college was when the internet was kind of like messing with print publications and no one knew how to like they it was just like this moment of like, what do we do? The internet. And so a lot of print publications were Literally, that's so
3: exactly I- how it was. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> right. Which is so weird to reflect on now. Like it, it just feels so obvious. Like, well, you just put that content online. But yeah. It, yeah. It really no, messed it was with such a learning lot of people. curve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I just couldn't find my way into that space. And so started working in reality TV. And, you know, all these different forms of storytelling. I had inter- uh, interned at FM stations in college and done, you know, reality TV production. Um, and then also I've always really been interested in technology. So was doing stuff online and learning how to code and eventually went to grad school to kind of put all those things under one umbrella, because for me, as someone who just like loves telling stories, it's always been like, what's the best way to tell this story less than being like, I'm a writer, and all I can do is write. Mm. It's like, okay, what's the story that needs to be told? And what's the best way to tell this story? Um, And so I guess, like, for me, also creating stories being a place of interaction of like my personal narrative colliding with yours, like in this interview where it's like, oh, we have these things in common. Now we're like building a connection. And so it's not necessarily a story, but it's something that I've held. I feel very proud of that created moments of interaction was a sort of art interaction uh, that I did for a festival on Governor's Island many years ago called the Selfie Portrait Project. And basically, I would invite people to sort of sit at this table and write a description of themselves. And I always said, like, it could be open-ended, like there was a mirror there, but you don't have to, like, base it on how you see yourself, but instead it could be a description of who you are. Mm. And then once they wrote out that description, I'd give them a sheet of paper and they would have to draw somebody else's picture based on the description that person wrote. So it became this sort of experience of, like, defining yourself, but also listening to other people's definitions, interpreting them and trying to create a portrait of that person based upon what they wrote. And so it's like an exchange of content. And what was really fun for me was giving people the space to see themselves in open-ended ways, you know, in mm-hmm. um, and the, and the random pairings of like, you know, someone, one of my favorites is someone basically described themselves as a, um, a Datsun like, you know, <laughs> one of the little skinny hot dogs. <laughs> the little dog, And yeah. I got paired with someone who was like a really great illustrator and like drew a perfect little picture. And it's just like this kind of random kindness thing. But that also, to me, expands the way people can see themselves, you know, not so much being defined of like, how do I look? And what do do people think they see? But rather, how do I see myself? How do I want to be seen in the world? And, you know, giving people space to really like embody that and give that to someone else. And then someone else feeling like the responsibility, but also the kindness to really like take time and say like, okay, let me try to draw what this person sees in themselves. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I really that that was like one of my it's like I said, it's like it's a story, but there's like multiple little stories in it. But there's also the story of like people kind of interacting in this stranger, altruistic way Mm -hmm. of like, you know, this is just a kind thing you're doing for another person. You're not going to outside of that. You don't really net anything. Um, But it's a it's it's still an intimacy Mm. Of seeing other people being seen by other people Mm -hmm. and adding your own sort of like flavor or interpretation to that. Um, so that's one of my favorites. But also working at Invisibilia, there's so many great stories. I was a long fan of the show long before I ever came to work for it. Working for the show is an absolute dream and a blessing because it was like my favorite show. And I never had the ambition even to say like oh I want to work for that show let alone host that show (laughs) that was just not in my mind I was just like this is a great show there's so many great stories told I will send them to my friends especially when people might be like going through moments of emotional spiritual whatever it's like oh try this episode it really helped me um and so to end up then working for it and being able to lead in this way um truly feels like you know divine timing
3: I would love to sink into this moment for a second, because what I'm hearing as I'm hearing you talk on this show, something we speak to extensively, and it's also my highest rated episode of all time, is conversations on purpose, right? Mm. And so what I really love about everything that you just shared, I feel that you created um, this really beautiful, expanded view of what it is to be in purpose at each moment of our lives. Right. And the theme tends to always be the same. Like it looks like your, your purpose is really to be a myth. It is to share myth. It is to be so curious that you are able to get to know yourself as deeply as possible. And by nature of that, you're also a catalyst of that for others, or you're helping masses of people be connected to that in other people and you just explained every step of the way how purpose evolves and like mm. something that that I've spoken to on this show especially on one of our two purpose episodes is really around how purpose you know it's it's not it doesn't even have to be the thing that makes you money sometimes it crosses over and that's phenomenal I'll take it but you know purpose is like this ever evolving tapestry but that's like woven together with grace, but doesn't fully make sense as it's happening. And so, mm. curiosity and storytelling really as your baseline, like that deep self awareness as your baseline. And then, at every step of the way, you got new layers and new deepenings of your purpose. And so, even beginning, you know, early in your career, working for that, um, working for those reality TV shows, it's like you were storytelling and you were finding. And I'm sure you were even connecting in your mind, not necessarily sharing on TV, but you were you were connecting some deeper self-awarenesses of each person and how those things were displayed and how to share them. And then at the new levels of you in divine timing, as you were ready, you expanded to an even more deepened view of something you had already done. And so each level is a new level of mastery until you arrive at this Incredibly divine moment that is so synchronistic that you realize only God could have allowed this to happen, you know, and you're working someplace that you felt already so deeply connected to um, and in such reverence of and respect for. And then now you're the host, you know, and it's like, wow, wait, hold a minute. Like, can we sit in that and really like just sit in the gratitude and the awe of that? That is how life expands, you know, and and it's so important, I think, for people to hear and to see this in your story. It's one, it's never overnight because all of it is necessary. All of the levels of it are necessary. And yeah, you were doing reality TV, weren't that interested, but it served purpose and allowed you to arrive at the perfect moments every step of the way.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you were saying all of that, I had multiple chills just because it's something that I definitely am aware of, but it's almost hard to sit with because it is so much bigger than my ambition. Mm. You know, like this is it. being in this position in this space and time is an absolute dream that I never even had the ambition to Mm. dream, you know? And so to arrive to this moment and to see all these things fall into place. And like you're saying, all these sort of like random skills that I've picked up on Mm -hmm. the way that like don't, I know if you wrote out my career journey point A does not look like it leads to point B. Yes. You know like no one would say like <laughs> you start there and then 10 years from now you'll be a host and it's like no that makes no sense. I mean literally 2 3 years ago I was in this really sort of in between space where I was between destinations basically. Yeah. So it's like I'd finished grad school but I hadn't found a job that really worked for me and want had this creative impetus But no, it no right place to put it. And at the time, I was living in Chicago, and so I was just picking up random jobs and like side hustling my creative passions. And one of those random jobs was being a substitute kindergarten teacher, Mm. which like one could assume has nothing to do with you know telling. Uh, or being a podcast host. But at the same time, it is telling stories, it is observing people, it is being, you know, compassionate and empathetic, even when you don't want to be. It's like being, you know, all these different things that I do think make me better at my job, but weren't like no one, no career advice would be like, before you go work at a podcast, go substitute teach kindergarten for go a year. Go be with the kindergartner. And it's funny because <laughs> right. even that
3: piece you identified, that may be a facet of your purpose that's just yet to arrive yet, right? But there may be some incredible project. And if so, let's timestamp this so that we can, you know, add it when it comes out. But- there might be something really powerful you are meant, the, you know, to help the world understand even about the psychology of children or a way yeah. in which you can help free people that whose stories that you're telling around their childhood It's so fascinating.
4: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really I'm, I'm glad that you can see it and like yeah. understand it as I do, because it is it's something that, you know, I don't necessarily readily talk about to a lot of people just because it is like it's a personal journey and it does require an understanding of like the spiritual nature of existence that yeah. like you could plan you could plot you can make lists I'm, I'm definitely one of those people where like I write everything out and that helps manifest things in my life um but mm. there are things that have happened beyond my list making beyond beyond my dreams and it does feel like okay I'm operating inside of something that I have a deep respect and reverence for. Um, and that I am dedicated to collaborating with and working on behalf in a sense of just like, what 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 do you want me to do? <laughs> you know, like my my dreams can be small, you know, so it's like, what is the greater purpose that I need to serve in this space? It's funny on my wall, I have like a little all these things that I kind of look at to motivate myself. And one of them is I want my purpose to be clear because it's like, I want, I want to know what I'm doing here and I want to be intentional about what I'm doing here. Oh, I love that. Like, like to me, it's just, it's just so powerful.
3: And I, I, I have a feeling, but I it's also a hope and desire that everyone listening is really connecting these dots because what I'd really love to encourage and every person listening is this is all true for you too. So start investigating these dots and also appreciating them and taking them seriously you know like the thing that's at the bottom of your resume that little bullet point of something that's a blip it's like but is there something else to know about that moment is there some way that it served you is there something else that can unlock you and i think for so many of us like i mean my pathway is like this it's like just you know non-linear it is up and down up and down but one thing that I love so much about my life is that I know my personal recipe is my own.
4: Mm-hmm. And that is
3: why I am never in lack mindset. I'm never in a competitive mindset. I don't want to compete with anyone. All of us are deserving of everything that life has to offer and I don't have to have all of it to feel that I'm better or to feel that, you know, this is why it's important and that's this is why it matters. And so when you investigate yourself in all those crevices and all those those facets of your story you just sink so deeply in your power that you are n- like effortlessly and naturally magnetizing your purpose to you
2: it's mm. not you
3: running out and applying for everything and just hoping you'll get something back or let me send the perfect letter and let me do the follow up and let me do this like you have created you know this this space for yourself you're still showing up with the work. You're still showing up as the best version of you. You're still committed to your work, but it's this magnetization of all that is for you. It is not a chasing. You are now in the state of receiving.
4: Yeah. Yeah. No, there was, there was a point where it's like, I'm, I feel like I'm standing in place and like I can see these things coming and it's like now you could run to it Mm. or you could just wait and be patient and wait for those things to come to you. And that's like a new thing that I'm learning, which honestly led me to this place was just kind of like, don't push, don't don't fight, just like be in agreement. And to go with and also to have a level of trust, because, again, like two, three years ago, someone would say, oh, but in like three years, you'll be hosting. I, I wouldn't have believed them. Yeah, because it didn't feel like I was on that path. I hadn't set that intention. Um, I just felt so far removed and was really kind of nervous and scared because I had spent so much of my um young adulthood doing what I wanted mm. and and then feeling guilty about it afterwards that I wasn't at a place where my peers were and I wasn't accomplishing these sort of societal goals that, you know, at certain ages that you think you're supposed to hit. And I was feeling really um, down on myself because of that. Like, oh, I wasn't serious about, you know, I guess checking off the list of adult experience. Um, mm. But now I feel really affirmed by like, oh no, I can trust, My path is Mm -hmm. my own, Mm -hmm. and I can trust that, um, even if it doesn't make sense right now, it may make sense down the road. And again, I can just like trust wherever I am. Of like, okay, it's okay. You know, like I'm I'm still working towards something.
3: Yeah, yeah. It all serves purpose. Hold that thought. We are coming right back.
1: Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call clickgranger dot
1: or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done
3: So joining invisibilia, you know this you you're bringing in so many new dynamics, so many new curiosities right that have probably never been thought of on that show before. You have such a unique perspective and such a varied life. What are you hoping to share with the audience? What are the stories you'd like to tell?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think I have been really inspired in the past few years by other storytellers who are incredibly honest Mm. and they don't, you know, they are not concerned with, you know, respectability or form. They're willing and open to acknowledge the complications of life. And I think that's what I'm really interested in, too, of like, you know, life, no story. A lot of times we simplify stories for the sake of controlling the audience's interpretation um, and or like the ease of understanding. But it's like life is very complicated and nothing. Most things are not black and white. You know, most things exist in this space of like it was a little bit good and it was a little bit bad and it helped a little bit and it hurt a little bit. Um, and so I'm really interested in in stories that highlight these kind of different perspectives and challenges um, to kind of break up the binary of like, is it good or is it bad? And it's like, yes, it's good and bad. You know, yeah, like there's yeah. no there's Things no can real be knowing. both at once. Yeah, yeah, just being a bit more honest. I'm very into like honesty and directness. And so I'm just really interested in stories that can talk about difficult subjects in honest and direct ways that hopefully encourage other people to do the same in their own lives of like, we can have these conversations, we could ask these questions, we can endure whatever discomfort might come with it for the sake of growth and learning um, and improvement to whatever extent you think things need to be improved. This seems to be, I'd love your perspective on this. This seems to be such a
3: potentially even the most special time in human history to tell stories um, because our understanding of ourselves, our, our level, at least for many of us, right? Um, our access to internal investigation is at an all-time high. Our collective consciousness has been expanded to the largest amount it ever has been, right? We're finally having stories told um, from really a non- white non-cis perspective and it's like in in such an expansive way and in so many different places so it it must be um i don't know i just imagine that it must be an even more beautiful experience to be a storyteller today than other times in human history you can get into pieces of people that 20 years ago they wouldn't have even had access to
4: Yeah, for sure. And like we're building we're building on now we have this sort of library of a certain type of human history, not comprehensive, not everybody's and definitely not everybody's perspective. But we still have these stories that now we're building off of. We have a conscious awareness of we understand what impact those stories and the way we've told those stories have influenced our reality. And so it, to me, it does become now this possibility of like, stories help construct realities. So what realities are you Mm. trying to construct? Um, And being really thoughtful about that, because, you know, ultimately wanting to encourage our society, reality, whatever, to develop in ways that support the health and humanity of everything here, you know, then becomes like a a narrative challenge of like, okay, so I don't want to do like just a bunch of doom and gloom stories, or I don't want to tell sensational stories that might get everybody's attention, but don't leave you with any sort of positive feelings. I mean, honestly, that was one of the reasons why I got out of reality TV because it felt um, like it didn't have a lot of humanity. Like it was just all about entertainment but with zero sort of reflectiveness of like what kind of what are you hoping to generate from creating this content mm. um and that just was never a question I heard anybody ask and and very easily created a rule for me where I was like I want to put good into the world I don't want to just put like filler into yeah, the world like or more worse. distractions yeah yeah like I want to add something to this existence that feels good to people. Um, and like it encourages growth. And so I think telling stories specifically on this show in this space in this time, it does it. It It's really interesting and exciting, even though it's also a really challenging time. But it's like everything is alive now. And we're our awareness of it. And our ability to influence it mm. is so um, rich. You know, it just feels like the possibility is in the air and it's on anybody really to seize those moments and and make something that they feel, you know, could benefit the greater population, hopefully. Mm. Mm.
3: It has been amazing having you on this show Kia. Um, this has been, I just love it. I love everything that you're doing. I love your path. I love your perspective. I love your voice. I love your truth. Um, We ask at the end of every episode for our guests to share some soul work with the audience. And that can be in the form of a self-care practice, maybe a ritual that you enjoy, a journal prompt. Um, But I'd like to invite you to share a takeaway for the audience to spend some time with when this show ends.
4: Yeah, well, I'll share something that we do on the show. Actually, we don't do it on broadcast. We do it as a team. Um, and this is like, again, me, that I brought this to the team as like my offering of like, Hey, before we do recordings, um, especially we will do body scans with each other. And so we take a moment to like, okay, breathe, check in with your body, scan your body, observe where you might be holding tension, you know, relax that tension, um, And then also set the intention as a group of like, what are we about to do in this space? Mm. And so that's our own little like invisibilia uh, habit of like, oh, okay, let's let's remember to check in with our bodies, check in with these vehicles that we're in um, and make sure that we're good. And so that's something that I like to do with my coworkers, but also like by myself and, and to release tension and just to like raise awareness of. Of it's so easy, I think, especially as a storyteller, to be very much in your head mm. and to forget that what happens in my brain is also impacting my body. And I need to be very aware of where those balances are happening or not happening and trying to constantly like rebalance it so I could be aware and effective in the work that I do. I love that. Yes, please,
3: everyone. Add to cart a beautiful body scan and a beautiful intention setting for whatever space you're going to be occupying for that moment. How can everybody connect with you? How can they find you?
4: Yeah, so I'm on most socials as at Miyaka Natis. It'll either be with a dot or a dash. I know that's a mouthful, so no one is, it's like I can spell it, but there's no point. It's a lot. Um, But also, you know, you can download Invisibilia wherever you get your podcasts. We're uh, almost finished with our first season as new hosts, and then we'll be coming back this summer with some more episodes. And we're really excited just to welcome new listeners into the Invisibilia world of, of storytelling
3: amazing thank you so much for your time thank you for coming on the show thank you for having me hey find me on social let's connect at debbie brown that's twitter and instagram or go to my website debbie brown.com and if you're listening to this show on apple Podcasts, please 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 don't forget to rate review and subscribe and send this episode to a friend Dropping Gems is a production of iHeartRadio and the Black Effect Network. It's produced by Tribble and me, Debbie Brown. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.